You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Hey, how you doing? Good evening. Welcome to episode 71 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. How are you? My name is Matt Phillips. For those of you who don't know me, I'm creativeonecheckedlife.com and host of this weekly show, um, which brings you experts from the world of healthcare provision to discuss topics that will help you, the soft tissue therapist, develop your practice in the direction that evidence and research takes us. So um, before we get too excited, I'm very excited for having a chat with today's guest. Um, as you will have seen, hopefully, um, from the adverts, um, we are bringing back um, somebody who was with us back in January, I think, um, who's um, very popular with the STA. And I'm very keen to make sure that she becomes very well known with other people. Um, Dr. Fiona Higgs is going to be with us um, talking about a topic which came out of the blue, really, but it's something which is so important. Um, it's circles around the use of NSAIDs and something that's been um, released in the news um, later on in the news by, by a particularly big ultra um, uh, running competition event. Um, and we're going to talk about that because as Dr. Fiona Higgs pointed out, I would have jumped on it going, yes, clap, clap as well, thinking, yes, say no to NSAIDs. It's about time too. How can these people kind of like be the sponsors of various events when we know the the harm that NSAIDs can do before and during races? But as always, Fiona came and said, hold on, hold on. I'm a doctor, you know, I've got a PhD. Let's take a pause and think about this a little bit. It's affecting other people, which is fantastic. And it really does. And the conversations I've had since then with Fiona have been great. So we're looking forward to bringing you that tonight. Um, but before I do that, then let's just have a little look. Um, I've, I've been off for two days. So if I'm looking particularly slower than normal um, and unfocused, that's because I've had a bit of man flu. I'll put in an ah there on the podcast afterwards um, to mimic everybody out there. But if you are listening to the podcast and you haven't joined us live, then fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, do please leave um, a rating and a nice comment for us, particularly an Apple podcast. It just helps us um, appear higher in Google rankings and therefore more people get to hear from our fantastic guests. So that'd be lovely. Um, but of course, you can join us live. Um, either through the Sports Therapy Association Facebook page um, or if you don't want to go through Facebook, you can join us live via YouTube as well. Both are there. And if you do join us live, then you can say hi, talk to our guests directly um, and basically network. Look, here we go. Catherine Reimer, who's generally the first person here, always on the doorstep waiting. Um, how are you doing, Catherine? Thanks for joining us again. Um, you can't see this if you're in the podcast, but your comments and your questions will come up on the screen. Alistair Cunningham, how are you doing? Nice to see you here as well. And Gary Benson, founder of the Sports Therapy Association, is here in the house. And more and more people are coming through as we speak, which is fantastic. We do appreciate you joining us live. It's a great opportunity to network and chat. Um, so um, I just want to thank um, last week's guests as well. But before I do that, let's not forget Therapy Expo. I finally managed to release um, the list of guests um, who are going to be in the STA theatre. For those of you who haven't been to Therapy Expo before, it's kind of divided up into different theatres. And Sports Therapy Association um, are rightfully proud to have their very own theatre, probably because they've been there since the beginning. Gary has been there since since year one, I believe. Um, I was a speaker there in year two and three. And throughout, I think we're on, I don't know what number now does it say up there? Maybe say 11 up there i don't know i think we're into double figures nearly but um yes there's been a presence with the sta throughout uh, which i'm very proud of and this year i'm delighted to say i'll be up there hosting four speakers both on the wednesday afternoon and the thursday afternoon 
to give you an idea and i've asked fiona permission to keep her down there in the kind of like galley waiting patiently and let's just have a little, little video which i was uh, i've put around on social media um let me get rid of that and bring up the video if you do see this and you're an STM member then then do me a favor and just share it please let's get the message out there because you know what i'm i'm really proud of these speakers i said to fiona obviously i started saying hi fiona i'm really sorry i if i'd have i I would have chosen you. I didn't choose the speakers. It was done differently. Um, but um, I wish I could have had 77 speakers, basically, which is what it'll be by the time we get there. But we've got eight. Um, I'm very proud of the eight we have. Um, so if you do see this um, video doing the rounds on social media, do please show it. You can't see it if you listen to the podcast, of course, so I'll talk my way through it, which is going to be a challenge, but I'm going to try and do it now. Are you ready? I'm pressing play. Let's talk about... Okay, so at one fifteen, we've got myself. I'll be introducing the highlights from um, Sports Derby Association podcast the last seventy-seven hours. Um, but then we've got David Rhodes at two o'clock from doing "Stop Being a Physiotherapist, Sports Therapist." Be proud of yourselves. Then we have got um, the Mike Grice, who's going to be there talking about safety net. And then ending the Wednesday, we've got the Massage Collective talking about massage and cancer. So again, your afternoon is booked now for Wednesday. On the Thursday, we return. And it's going to be the one and only Dr. Claire Mitchell um, starting off at 1.15 on the Thursday with a, just a Q&A. Ask me anything, she said. Just ask me anything. Then it will be Tim Allardyce um, doing a hamstring rehabilitation presentation. It's going to be fantastic as well. Um, and then also we've got um, Deborah Thurlow-Rowley talking about endometriosis after that. And we finish off the Thursday with Chris Tiley of Never Too Old to Lift. Oh, I think I've got his name wrong. I think I ruined it in the last set. Is it Never Too Old to Lift? Or Chris Tiley, you know he is. So we've got a fantastic afternoon on Wednesday and Thursday um, for you. Um, I kind of do I feel guilty that we're going to drag everyone away from the rest of Therapy Expo? Not really, uh, because we've only got kind of 60 to 70, maybe. If you're sitting on each other's laps and just saying goodbye to COVID, then maybe we could fit in 80 or 90. But do come and join us. But then again, don't come and join us if you're just going to sit there and nod and go, yeah, I know this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's nice to have your confirmation biases kind of ticked and it's uh, that'll be fun and love to see as well. But I'm really keen. If you think this will be a good speaker, why not? Here's a challenge. Why not try and get someone else to come along? Why not say, look, you know that conversation we had? Go and see this person in Therapy Expo um, uh, in the STA theatre. You know, maybe give up your place to somebody else who's not as enlightened as you. How's that for brainwave? Just thought of that on the spot. Um or don't just come along we'll have a great time all of us 70 together sitting there go yes this is it uh anyway really excited to be a fantastic face-to-face event as well obviously some people are wary of covid um i still suggest i'm still very big on people wearing masks in events like this um and we will try and respect the meter distances particularly for people who, who ask for it um but yeah it'd be lovely to see people face to face anyway that's therapy expo sorted and done let me hide that from the screen um i also want to thank before we get away for tonight um i want to thank last week's guest um rob bevan and dave elliott did a fantastic really of great feedback guys thank you so much for the emails it was a great idea and we will do it again i've just got to find two people who are as confident in in saying all the things they've done wrong when they were younger as these two are um it was a really nice look at um common mistakes that they made back in the early days maybe not mistakes just how they could have done it better and it really highlighted how important it is for as us for therapists to be happy to to self-reflect and critique our own practice and criticize ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. I know it's tricky if you're suffering from imposter syndrome. It's really tricky if you start doubting yourself. But if you want to get rid of that imposter syndrome, then just pausing and reflecting, maybe sticking it in your business diary once a week or something to think, right, let me have a little think about what I've done this week. What could I have changed? Where could I have done better? Because you're only human. 
and and you're only as good as you are as being human so um these two really highlighted that by showing um some of the um it was three or four cases just in the end we will get them back and they said they will come back and we'll do some more because it went down really really well um and those of you who have downloaded the podcast then thank you very much as well don't forget to leave a little comment right i think that's a record time for leaving our guests down um in the docks for so long um <laughs> dr fiona higgs um i will bring you up now and i do apologize in advance hey there how are you doing hi matt I'm sorry oh, I left you down there so long. I had so much to say. I know it's dark and there's nothing, and then there are mice. I did warn you. Um, but anyway, thanks so much for joining us. Um, and like I say, I, I, I've already said I would have had you as a speaker if I could. Oh, the lineup sounds really good, though. So you know, it's, uh, maybe next year. We'll see. Well, I do hope so. When we just <laughs> when we just take over the whole of Therapy Expo, because they realise that yeah, these guys are running it. Um, but anyway, so yeah, thank you very much for joining us again. Um, I hope you're well. Um, I, I I really wanted I, I mentioned I think about three or four weeks back that I saw you joining us in in the in the room and I said oh wow definitely got to get um, Fiona back but then I saw on Facebook your your monumental post the other day which said I'm back in capital letters like Arnie or something um, and you gave us loads of details about fantastic exciting courses that are coming up um, so you are back officially yeah for the best part I think yeah I'm here exactly. I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it's been a tricky few months, but you've come back now organized with um, various courses and things happening. Tell us a little bit about them before we start. Yeah, so um, I had had a few ideas kind of knocking around in my head from conversations I've had with people who've attended the other courses, um, the other workshops that have been running on uh, a couple of different subjects, but mainly in introduction to biomechanics. And um, I managed to identify that like, and I think through some of the discussions that you've had, Matt, on, on the podcast as well, there, there have been themes of people wanting to delve a bit more into reading scientific articles and um, perhaps being able to um, critique, I guess, the research. Um, so the main the main and the first of those ideas to kind of come to fruition um, is in the form of a workshop on how to read scientific journal articles. Brilliant. Um, so it's just a 90 minute workshop uh, and it's going to run in October and then I've got another one in it's in March. I was just I thought I'd check because the dates <laughs> I haven't I haven't got quite uh, too uh, had too long to really focus on the dates. But um, yeah, so like and there's a, a couple of others as well one on how to create a workshop and market it and, and, and actually plan it. Um, that's so, so exciting isn't it that's so exciting now that there's the demand for people to actually be able to um, look at the research and kind of work out what's valuable and what's not I don't think mm. that would have happened particularly amongst kind of sports massage therapists and sports therapists before Covid really yeah, yeah. very exciting yeah I think um, one of the most interesting things that I sort of found was that a lot of the people who are interested in the um, biomechanics type materials that I've been able to offer um, are vocationally trained sports massage therapists or people who've gone and done a degree in sport exercise science or sports therapy and maybe wanting to top up their skills or, or revisit and refresh. Um, so really, uh, I think from that perspective, having scientific, I, I know I certainly know like once you're out of out of the, the routine of reading articles as well, it can be quite you know like dusting off an old 
bike. I don't know, like trying to learn, Stop trying to learn works. to ride a bike again. I don't know. You know, you kind of need to, you kind of need to have a few questions in your pocket to really know how to, how to look at a paper and kind of get the best out of it and really give it a good kind of think through before drawing any conclusions. Um, and so, you yeah. need someone like yourself who's willing, who's been in the research world, has done the nitty gritty and knows how you know difficult it is to put that onto the shop floor in a way that people are going to understand it. Because historically, I think that's been a bit of the problem as well, like not tainting everybody with the same brush or cleaning my bike. But, um, you know, I, there was a little bit of a division before, wasn't there, where kind of like people who are in the research world just wouldn't want to get involved with people on the shop floor. It was like, oh, they won't understand. So thank you for being one of the doctors who has stepped up. Um, I just got to say sorry to people who are watching the Facebook. I did see a little message coming up saying Facebook has stopped the live link. If this is the case for you, then jump over to YouTube. Maybe I imagine it's working right. there. It's probably to do with the outage from um, yesterday when Facebook was down. They did warn me that something could happen. Um, obviously, we go out on Facebook as well as YouTube. So um, apologies if you're watching Facebook and it did end. Um, hopefully, you're catching up with the podcast now, which is weird thinking you listen to this in the future. But remember that YouTube is available as well. Anyway, you were going to say, so what else have you got coming up, Fiona? Um, so... I'll refer to my own website here just to check dates and stuff. But um, I've got um, a p how to plan and deliver an online workshop, which I think um, I've had a couple of people kind of tell me that they were interested in, you know, bringing their own ideas to a public forum, but not necessarily having maybe it's not necessarily motivation, but like skills to actually just the final push, really. You know, you're thinking about it like, how do I link up an Eventbrite or how do I put together a presentation, that kind of thing. So I've got a couple of workshops uh, that cover both of those subjects. Um, and if, if there are any kind of like people who are going through assessments and have to do presentations, there's a workshop that will cover that as well. Um, yeah, so the, the okay. dates are all on, on the website. Again, just such valuable CPD, finally. I'm hoping the demand's there again. Like I say, people are moving away from this. What else can I do with my hands? And now it's what can I do for my business? What skills do I need in real life? Amazing. And then also, what about the, finally, the foundations in biomechanics? The big yeah. one. Yeah, the big one. <laughs> uh, so this is the, the, the four-week course that I kind of started making noises about back at the start, probably, of the, <laughs> the first lockdown. Um mm. And, and it didn't really uh, kind of take place in the summer when I had planned to, but um, I had some amazing help from some of the Sports Therapy Association um, members, actually, um, and people outside of the association as well who joined a focus group. Um, and they'd been on the workshop, uh, Introduction to Biomechanics, which I'm also running um, next, next January, I think. Um, and so we kind of pulled together all the ideas that and the themes and the things that were missing from their knowledge and and what they wanted to build upon um and i've got the the bad the bare bones of it basically and it's it's uh it will be ready for people to um take the first course which will be running in february uh the tickets are technically just on sale but close to the group that helped with the you know the focus group and the, the people who got on the waiting list because they took part in surveys and they they gave such a lot of helpful information and now i know what people want from that so they get first access but um they will be open to everybody from next sunday at midday mm -hmm. so um 
I'll make sure I send out an email to people as well if you're on the mailing list. Um, but yeah. That's a really exciting way of doing it. I think really commendable. I'm not sure many people have done that before, but yeah, getting a focus group and people are involved in it even before it actually starts. And then obviously as a prize, then they get first dibs because you don't like using, you don't like giving many people in these groups either, do you? You kind of limit it to small groups. Yeah, I think there's a lot like when I, so when I was teaching in the university, um, I found that you know the small the, the small size of like workshops you know it was almost a bonus when you'd have a workshop where everybody was perhaps too hungover to show up you get like 10 maybe or even five people in the lab and they get so much more out of the experience um so i i, I do really think that having a smaller group helps with the learning process you're just less intimidating and more options to ask questions and discuss so yeah it should be 10 10 spaces each each course and um the workshops i think i've limited i can't remember actually but they are limited <laughs> i think it's that capped at 30 maybe but we've never had 30 actually show up a lot of people go choose the recording as well yeah. but um yeah about 50 percent people yeah. great and if people want details of this just if you are listening to the podcast i'm putting this up onto the screen now then um just pop along to move hyphen that's called isn't it yeah move hyphen well.co.uk forward slash workshop um or just go to move hyphen well.co.uk and you will see all of the details there on the move well website and all the dates and everything um i could say i totally recommend them but obviously i'm biased but i mean i've already said it's a fantastic chance there's a common theme here amongst people who i'll have as guests and people who i really kind of back because they are from that research like dr claire minchel and they've been there and they know how tricky the research can be and they know the division between um, that level of academia and then people kind of on the shop floor and they're just helping bridge that gap because again everyone needs to work together for the benefit of the patient everyone needs to kind of pull from the same kind of pull from the same bike as this is going to be the uh, expression for today <laughs> how's it going for uh, facebook i'm afraid um it looks like mike's what's mike done here I know. I thought, Mike, you're giving a copy and paste about what's happened to Facebook. We'll come back to that. Thanks for joining us, Mike James. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Facebook, um, the link has just gone dead now. Um, I did fear this. So if, uh, yeah, if you're still with us with YouTube, then fantastic. You can still comment and everything, I'm pretty sure. Mike, are you on YouTube just out of um, curiosity? Let me know, Mike James, and then I'll come back to your question. Anyway, right. So on to tonight's topic then. Um Let's get rid of that. Oh, no, I'm going to keep this up. Very exciting. It was lovely to see you interject. And it started with just playing the devil's advocate. So we'll just have a bit of a background for people who haven't seen this. Um, it was on the STA members only group, I think. Um, so you won't have seen it unless you're an STA member. Um, but let's just uh, fast forward to this. It was old Danny Boy from Glasgow, Daniel Gerber. Let me put it actually big so I can see it with my old eyes. Um, yeah, Daniel um, shared a post that has been doing the rounds particularly across the running community of which Daniel is still one of them, aren't you, Daniel? Um, and he says, been banging on about this for a while. The West Highland way race took the action a few years ago. And now the UTMB has time. We all followed and advised people in our care um, the same. So basically he was referring to um, the UTMB, um, which is a very famous um, ultra trail organization. Um, and they have said that um, in their races, um, they are now having a, a ban of all painkillers within 24 hours um, before the race and also during the race. 
Okay, and it it's kind of most of you will be familiar about the dangers of NSAIDs. It's quite well researched, particularly with um, endurance activities, distance running, um, ultra marathons, definitely, and triathlons. Um, and so, yeah, Daniel put this out here saying about time too. And I would have thought, yeah, it's true. Actually, there's there's some very famous. I think one of the Ironman competitions is actually sponsored i think i think i saw christopher johnson mention it the other day um is sponsored by um a company a brand that sells um nsaids um and it's, it seems a little bit of a oxymoron should we say um but then there was a few more comments um also was obviously the subject came up people have died not directly from taking ibuprofen which is a, one of the best known um NSAIDs, but in the brighton marathon which is my neck of the woods i think this was brought up in the post as well there was tragically a uh, a young guy who died um it was put down as bowel ischemia and gastrointestinal hemorrhage but basically it was just they said it was just a cocktail a perfect storm um, a combination of things which included four two or four ibuprofen tablets during the race um, and organizations most marathons i know london definitely brighton they do recommend um, that people don't take um, NSAIDs um, um, for at least two days or even a week i think maybe it is on the london marathon around the actual event um, so yeah but um, so this came up and people jumped in saying about time to bam. Then came Dr. Fiona Higgs. This is why I'll let you take over. I'm going to keep this on the screen in case anybody wants to read it. But um, yeah, Fiona, what made you suddenly kind of pop up as the devil's advocate here? Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a devil's advocate moment. And I think maybe partly because I was kind of imminently going to be needing <laughs> I was, had ibuprofen on the mind mat to be honest um, <laughs> um but like yeah I just I, I kind of felt like it was maybe the way the article was written from the perspective of like just one particular um I don't want to say that group who uh take a lot of ibuprofen for pain to run through pain are vulnerable but like they are obviously there's an element of vulnerability there, but there are other vulnerable kind of individuals who may rely on NSAIDs to get through different types of pain rather than musculoskeletal. And and my point was, uh, in certain times of the month, on certain months, like I literally I can't walk like for an hour or two or maybe five or six a couple of months ago um, on the first day of my period. And I certainly wouldn't be going and running an ultramarathon. You know, I'm not I'm not saying that I would go and do that then. Um, it just occurred to me that perhaps the decision might have been made in isolation of, um, you know, how that might impact other people taking part in the race. Um, and it's very hard as well to monitor, um, I suppose, if you're testing people. But like, how does this impact? Um, how does this impact those other groups? And, and how is it? um how is it going to kind of play out i suppose uh, um you know is there going to be a domino effect in other sports maybe less extreme events will be um you know they, they will take the same decision um yeah so that was my thinking was really just like well i can't be the only person who suffers from menstrual pain um <laughs> and and relies on ibuprofen so um yeah 
It's, it was so. a great point. And it definitely, when I read it, it stopped me in my tracks because I could feel myself already kind of clapping and ready to put my emojis of about time too and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, basically reminded me that we're pretty much forgetting potentially up to half the population and kind of marginalizing them. And like you said, I mean, NSAIDs um, are, are, are depended upon for people. They're used a lot for joint pain, for osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, gout. Um, but if we focus for tonight, mainly yeah let's focus exclusively unless somebody listening wants to speak up as well and, and belongs to the other population but let's focus on menstrual cramps and period pain um i've i've well i'd say i've got no i've got obviously I've got no experience personally but i i don't know how decapacitating it can be amongst the population of women in general i know some people severely suffer but i've got no idea i've, I've tried finding statistic but how many people would without the aid of ibuprofen or feminax one of the brands where it's incorporated in how many people just basically wouldn't be able to start that marathon if they didn't have it have you got any idea being a woman yourself like how because women don't <laughs> seem to get involved in these conversations do they yeah. that didn't help yeah um, i was telling you how many i mean what percentage of women do have these severe mental cramps is, for example this is a really good question actually because um I think that like uh, I can only obviously speak from my own experience and I think that 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 is that is probably the main thing to say to anybody if you don't experience a particular symptom or condition that somebody is describing to you then all you have is your own experience of that um I can only talk about my experience I never used to get any real pain or or like problems with this particular kind of issue until I reached my 30s um in fact in in the last 12 18 months it's really become more of an issue and so but i know that a lot of people i spoke to uh when i was in my teens and 20s wouldn't go to school or they wouldn't go to work because of the issue and often you know there isn't like um you know you can have a day off sick because you're feeling ill but are you telling your boss <laughs> like why you're feeling mm. ill and um I think there's a lot of uh, it's not that it's a taboo subject. I think it's just an awkward subject. Um, it's something that people don't feel comfortable talking about. Um, and I think for a lot of women, I say women, people who who have a menstrual cycle, there's a, there is an element of, of shame because it's not something that you openly talk about. Therefore, it kind of becomes stigmatized as something that people don't want to hear about, maybe. Um, but, this, yeah. this is, maybe this is part of the problem i mean i don't know about the organizers for example of these races i know probably a lot of these organizers are male it's kind of still one of the problems but i can imagine maybe even women who were there when the decision was being talked about and mm -hmm. maybe didn't speak up i don't want to put the blame on women obviously because it doesn't well maybe i am maybe <laughs> well whatever's forced women to kind of not speak up and talk about this at the fear of kind of because there is this problem, isn't there? So my first question is, like, how do we, um, how can we make this easier for people to talk about and speak up? Because maybe this decision has come off the back of, they did a little bit of research, investigations, asked a few runners, talked amongst their circles, because there's plenty mm -hmm. of fantastic female, particularly triathletes out there, amazing. And they're, and every year they're trying to get more and more. I think in a lot of these races, the percentage has come to nearly 50-50 now. And in some races, I know we've had Elizabeth, well, I had Elizabeth Barnes, who was on Run Chat Live, who's beaten like all the guys, except for two in the field. Um, so women are excelling in this. And yet, 
there's still decisions like this being made, which thanks to you, you've highlighted the fact, hold on guys, this is a bit of a ridiculous situation because you're missing out basically all these women who, who suffer. So what do we do? Yeah, I think it, I think it's difficult. I think when we look at a sample of um, athletes from, uh, say, ultramarathon, um, because of the intensity of the exercise, you know, the physical stress, it's quite possible that the their symptoms may not they may not they may be experiencing amenorrhea and they're not actually experiencing a menstrual cycle. So it may not affect them at all. That you know, I was really being a little bit like, well, yeah this could be an issue for them but it may not be at all um but in terms of like actually having the conversations um I can't I, I guess like um I was talking to Gary the other day and and he was saying how say getting female guests on a uh on a podcast can be challenging because um of the the number of times you might ask somebody who's like male uh might be less than the number of times you might ask somebody who's female and there could be all sorts of reasons for that but sometimes it's just a, re a matter of reinforcing like that it's okay to do something or that it's it's kind of like conditioning ourselves to to really start talking about it more often i suppose um i don't know if i'm articulate articulating that very well but i think we just need to talk about it more and everybody needs to talk about it not just women um you know, I think you've brought up an important point because this has done the rounds a little bit. And the fact that I think it was a Physio Matters podcast who came up with the statistics because somebody started, I think it might, I can't remember, oh, it doesn't matter who it was, but somebody was kind of saying, Jack, Jack Chu, you know, how come you've got this discrepancy between how many male guests and female guests you've got? And Jack obviously replied rather kind of angrily, look, I'll give you some stats. Here we go. Got his little boy, Jack March, to do, run through the figures. Um, and came out with the fact that, do you know how many women we actually invited on who one didn't reply and two replied they didn't, they, they couldn't do it. He says, this is the problem in our society. And then someone pointed out, yeah, well, all that's highlighting is the fact that women generally are busier than men, because unfortunately we still live in a society where the women haven't got all the evenings free to chat for an hour. You know, a lot of women are being depended on um, either fairly or unfairly to put the kids to bed, to make the dinner, to do this, to do the ironing of the kids' screenings, all these sort of things. So that might, it might be part of a bigger picture, more of a bigger problem in society. Um, yeah, yeah, what do you think? I, 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 like, I'm really glad that you're saying that, Matt, because like, I sort of, even though I have this, I, I, my view is that like, you know, I'm, I think we're socialized. If you're, if you're categorized as a woman, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever your intention is or the people around you, society in general tends to put the expectation on on one gender to do one thing and another gender to do the other. And, you know, it works both ways as well. You know, I don't want anybody thinking that I'm here, like standing on my, you know, um, bike. <laughs> standing on my bike, <laughs> uh, saying that, you know, women are getting treated more unfairly, but there are expectations put on both on all 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 people you know we're all pigeonholed we're all expected to behave a certain way because that's the way our brains work we categorize we do this in a clinical sense as well you know somebody who's got a tendinopathy it's a label that we put on it to make it easier to deal with um but when it comes to setting expectations of um and like try and when that's where the numbers fail us again you know like you're saying um with with jack's situation i think you said it was jack mm. um have struggling to get a positive like yes from somebody uh my my opinion and it's really not like 
a criticism at all but my view on that would be like if 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 I'm a woman and I, I'm doing all this work like I work I work a full-time job and I do my my other my business stuff for move well like in addition and I have another job so I work like and I don't even make a fraction of like what people who have gone through the PhD kind of like really make mm. in their you know their salary jobs um but that there there is this um kind of expectation that like if you ask somebody to do something once and it's an awesome opportunity they'll say yes uh and there's, they've got all these other things that are weighing on them emotionally, uh, you know, the expectations of society to 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 get the dishes done and, and hang out the washing <laughs> and bring the money in because you're a woman and you've kind of got to do all of that. Um, yeah, it's a lot. Maybe if you ask 100, 100 women and they say no, maybe ask 200, you know, <laughs> or, or keep asking. <laughs> Tell yeah. them, that you, you know, like, I don't know. It's just... It's tricky. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I definitely, I only have to look around my mates and, and, and realize that it, it, it's, it's ironic, isn't it? It's probably their mother who's actually given the guy this kind of like social status of like the women do this. It's passed on by the mother, ironically, but then I don't know where the chain started, but definitely. And I notice it when other women say to me, oh, you are good. When I've kind of like, I don't know, I've taken the kids out or I've taken them to school or I've picked them up or, you know, and it's not I'm good. It's just that's, I don't know. It's just I can't, I haven't lived any other way. It's always been that kind of way. But anecdotally, I do see that in society a lot of the time I am surprised by how much guys will just say, well, I'm not going to do that. Or they just stay watching TV and kind of raise their hand when they want a beer from the fridge or something. It happens. But I wonder as well whether to what extent and maybe it's part of it, but I don't know, guy, I don't know whether, it, again, it's nature or nurture, but guys tend to like to get on a box and shout their mouth off at well and tell them what they're thinking. And kind oh, of yeah. it's, they're kind of, it's like Tarzan standing up and beating his chest. Whereas women probably for good reason are like, what's the point of standing up and beating my chest? I've got more important things to do than talking about this, you know? I don't know how much of that is nature or nurture. And I don't think it's a negative thing. I think women probably get a lot more done because they're not jumping on the internet trying to go crazy because someone says something that's not true you know which guys probably do more than women but do you think there is a certain nature thing there which maybe could explain part of this as well that a lot of women just haven't got well, the desire to this is the thing i mean like i'm sat here kind of like you know the first thing that we we kind of covered was like uh hormones you know like we are biologically different we're all biologically different but if we are you know in a, a female body and we have female reproductive organs we're going to have female hormones and all the all the organs are going to be telling each other to function in a way that will produce you know a child <laughs> and uh and, and and find a mate to do that and i think if you're a man you'll have other instincts that you know are going to drive your particular like needs and there are going to be completely different approaches and and then there's everything in between that you know because there isn't just it's not just black and white um so we're all we're all dealing with things differently and we're all under societal kind of like expectations i do think you're right though i do think there is an element of social so, socializing and and and, and nurturing of, of of these things that probably plays much more into this than than and and we we can actually influence it i think it's just being aware of it and and for a lot of the time you know um 
it's hard to be aware of something when it's right in front, you know, like you're in it all the time. And I, I think unless you step back and actually uh, see a different perspective, it's it's very hard to see. And, I, you know, I would never, I'd never want anybody to think that what I'm saying is like, you know, <laughs> in my particular case about, you know, the NSAIDs, I, I'm just flagging up that there's, there's something going on for me that affects me. And, and then this is how I would think about it. And I think that's just the, way, the best way of looking at it, really. You know, Catherine's brought up a good point. Unfortunately, this is where we were hoping we'd normally have our kind of strong brigade, which in the STA chat room on these Tuesday nights oh, yeah. is generally about 50-50 and we're missing some vital people. But fortunately, we have got, well, Liz Bailey is in the theatre at the moment, obviously. Um, uh, but she says she's got quite a few minutes. This was a while ago. Sorry, Liz, good to see you here. Um, and Liz just said, um, great topic. Liz, if you have time just to talk about your menstrual cycle whilst you're in the theatre, that'd be great. Just share away. That'd be fantastic. Um, Catherine has done so. Um, Catherine says, I get horrible headaches the first two or three days. It's hard to concentrate. It's so uncomfortable if I don't take painkillers. Um, and then uh, Catherine goes on to say, um, are we more aware of being judged on appearance or whether we will be taken seriously? Maybe that's just me. Again, we don't know if it's nature or nurture or both, but maybe there is that being judged. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Like I literally, so um, I had, it took me a full hour and a half. I went for a walk. I took a shower. I ate my dinner for me to decide if I was going to wear makeup. And I haven't worn makeup for probably a month. <laughs> but like, you know, it's like, but did you, did you think about that, Matt? Like, was that your, did you have to think about it? I trimmed my beard. I wasn't quite sure how much to take (laughs) off. So guys do go through it as well. Um, Yeah. I mean, there isn't the the appearance thing as well. Mm. But yeah, women are definitely, I mean, I could have probably, I am sat in my pyjamas, for example. You just can't see the lower half of me. But yeah, I imagine that, yeah, the appearance thing does come into it. And that's, Yeah. yeah, that is unfortunate about what you say as well and being judged. Yeah, I do think I think I think there's something in that, Catherine. And I like I would I would say I can't talk again like Matt. You're saying you know you trimmed your beard. Like Phil spends don't like he'll probably hear this, but like he he spends ages like getting ready to go out. <laughs> Sometimes it's often twice as long as I will. Um, yeah. You know, it, it just it, it's it's down to the individual, perhaps. But yeah, I do definitely think that like we possibly are more sensitive to it. You know um but yeah it's just a I mean, maybe it's I, I think I'm, I'm always slacking off the media and I, and I hate the tv and adverts and I just as the older I get the more I hate adverts to the extent that I would happily boycott anything with adverts in it because it just it just perpetuates all of these horrible classical stereotype images and I'm not even that left-wing at all if anything I ever go at the left more than the right but I just notice on tv all these images every single shampoo thing and and all of this love island and i'm sorry if you watch love island i'm sorry if anybody watches love island but i just can't i don't get it i don't i understand that it's oh we don't have to think and we can watch it it's so easy and we don't i can't watch it without thinking what the f is going on why are these people making money out of doing this on tv i can't get it and 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 i can't live in a society which says oh it's so sad that girls on instagram wasting their time and having these confidence issues and going through anxiety and of course they are when you've got Love Island on TV and all these other things and adverts. So it, it gets me irate. It makes me anxious. But 
I don't that, even know what I was going to say now. But I was, um, was going to say that that's very valid, and I think it's it says a lot about the reach of of social media and Facebook and you know TV. Like it's not necessarily that. I think vanity has always been an issue. Um, you look at nineteen fifties like <laughs> video footage of I don't know. You know the kind of sitcoms and stuff, and it's yeah, like oh, yeah. everything's very prim and proper and. But but it's just the fact that it's in every every single home now and every single hand and I think you can judge yourself based on. But there's these forces pulling us back. There are so many as as women have rightfully so been given the chance to vote and then be able to educate themselves the same to go and work to expand their knowledge to lead teams to go for salaries which are similar hopefully to their male counterparts. There's some absolutely fantastic, attractive, confident, intelligent women out there, yourself included, Dr. Fiona Higgs, you know. Well, thank but you. whilst this is happening, there's 100 million more at the alternative end of the scale women on TV perpetuating this just teeth and tits kind of image on TV and doing mm-hmm. all undoing all of this. And how much time does actual media give to to role models for women you know female athletes are hardly ever on tv now and again there'll be something but it's still for every single minute there'll be hours and hours of rubbish again i mean this frustrates frustrates me as a guy as you can see but for you as you're representing the whole of womanhood now but does it does it annoy (laughs) you when you see this on tv and social media and is it something that is obvious if we change that then we'll give women more confidence to actually speak out and you know be like they're people they see you know I think for for me I've obviously I I like watching tv but I don't watch a huge amount of it and like the stuff that I tend to end up watching is by selection off Netflix or whatever um but I do think that you're right in terms of what kind of role models are on mainstream tv and um in social media who's getting the follows it's not the scientists is it let's be honest you know and and the, th- the way that things are presented to younger audiences is definitely pulling on the we need to make loads of money and we need to do it quick and you know boats and holidays and like fake boobs exactly <laughs> but 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 i i do and i think that when you're younger that's an, a much more kind of like perhaps easy barometer to 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 use as a guide on like how you're doing in life because you haven't got much life experience so you know it's literally in front of you um and i but i you know i i also think that um in in in, to try and address that remedy that we really do need more good role models like you say who are perhaps more focused on things that will be beneficial for them in the long run um you know education like having a good support network and um mental health (laughs) and it is that too is going in the right i do think that there is a lot more available going in the right direction um but there's so much focus on like uh outward like like you've kind of described outward appearance i suppose um but but really like we just need more people to be engaged in the conversations and like actually maybe just not focus on those time wasting kind of uh 
TV shows. I don't know. Anyway, somehow this, is, this, is, this episode has developed into a grumpy old man rant by Matt Phillips, host of the uh, Sports Television. Anyway, but but it's all relative, isn't it? Because this has all come out, in case you've just joined us, you're wondering, I thought it was about NSAIDs. It's kind of come out, um, in case you're catching up, about the fact that maybe this decision was made by the organisers of the race to ban all painkillers because women didn't have the confidence or feel they had the right to actually speak up and say, well, how, how can you do that? How can you say that? Because surely amongst half the population, there would have been people who um, rely on NSAIDs to get through certain times of the month, the menstrual cramps and all these things, as well as other people with other conditions who we're not forgetting as well. Um, so that's why we're talking about, um, yeah, women have the confidence to speak up and, and change decisions that are made. Um, don't forget people, you can still ask questions. Uh, Mike, I don't know whether you're still here. Um, when you came in earlier on, um, you've, like you say, you've um, done a lot of presentations of work with a lot of ultra athletes. And like you say, I quote, you're aware of the systematic and careless misuse mm. um, pre-race. And, and it is a huge thing and is is very frustrating because there are some awful misconceptions out there. And people just regularly chug down ibuprofen and stuff during the race thinking, well, that's how I'm going to get through. Um, and it is a big problem. But I'm wondering how much what you've said is all true has been affected by this. I don't know whether you're expecting this this evening. If you're still there, Mike, which you might not be uh, because of the Facebook problem, then do comment back. Liz, I can't believe that you're watching the theatre instead of talking about your menstrual cycle. It's just I've expected more of you, but hey, that's okay. Um, but yeah, people chime in. Um, taking it back to NSAIDs then. So so have we got a solution then? I mean, you you still, I mean, you convinced me that you can't just have a surprise, surprise. You can't have a one rule, you know, for everybody. But what mm-hmm. do you think would be a more sensible thing for these organisers, for example, to suggest with regards to the use of NSAIDs? I think, like, it would have been nice to see um, some evidence of consultation, perhaps, with other groups or other event holders who were, you know, um, I'm not saying they didn't, but I just couldn't see any evidence of it. Um, People who, a a wide sample of people who take part in these events that might have other views to contribute. And obviously it is a horrendous, it is a tragedy if if a life is lost or somebody becomes ill because they've taken these, you know, um, these medicines because just to avoid pain while they're running. But um, maybe there's a, a less severe solution or um, some way of like monitoring it so that it can be um, managed. Like the, 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 the amount of ibuprofen taken, they, they talked about the number of pills taken, like it was only like two pills, but was it 200 milligrams or was it 400 milligrams? So, you know, that's double um, the strength and it can, make a massive difference to the impact, I suppose, of the other dosages of the, the, the concoction that this person had taken. So, um, yeah, I think interacting drugs, you know, like anything that you might ask in a clinic, like what, you know, what other factors might be at play here? And I think that needs to be considered when the person enters the, the competition. And um, yeah, like I say, I was, I, I'm being, I'm being awkward, I'm being obstructive by saying, it, I suppose, but is it really like necessary to ban it all painkillers completely? You know, who who who's the biggest price going to be uh, for there? It's very good. It was a very good interjection. You you stopped me in my tracks. I'm sure I'm not the only person. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure that maybe people listening to the podcast 
do email in matt at the sta.co.uk with any personal experience you had normally we had a lot more people in the in the um i was gonna say the studio what is this online tonight offering their personal experiences but we haven't because of the facebook outage um but yeah we this is where exactly we need to hear from other people yeah. We're talking about other people yeah. giving other people the the platform to talk and unfortunately thanks to facebook and that is it's not been possible um but here we go Catherine's um got some more information let's bring this up Catherine says i know of an 18 year old woman getting lip botox as soon as she turned 18 i found it upsetting as she is so beautiful um this wasn't something that would have been a thing back then yeah it's kind of going but i mean it's it's a slippy road isn't it we could go down that but it's it's just education isn't it but then runners okay so runners let's imagine a lot i'm not saying all i, I doubt all runners watch love island let's say that to start off because they're probably out there training particularly an ultra runner so they're quite focused people who will do anything they can to get the objective done so somehow these people are not getting the right education with regards to the serious dangers of taking NSAIDs mm -hmm. unnecessarily. So that seems to be the problem. They're kind of shaking off. It's like, oh, they say they're dangerous, but, or maybe it's the actual organizers. I'm sure that the London Marathon, Brian Marathon give these warnings, but it's probably a very little small print somewhere, or maybe it needs to be mm -hmm. highlighted more. And, and um, are they actually able to check that people are following the guidelines as well? Because they're not going to test every runner. So um yeah how do you enforce it um yeah it's got to be through education hasn't it mm. i mean just the same way as people will spend i mean it's, it's, it's ironic isn't it you can persuade a runner with clever marketing to spend 120 pound on a pair of shoes um which they probably don't even need and yet you can't persuade them not to take these pills and to look at other ways of managing pain um um yeah so yeah these people uh, can be educated but it just needs to be done in a different way yeah do you think that onus like a question like do you think because a lot of people who I, i'm not an ultra runner but i'd imagine there's an element of um guidance like maybe coaching that people could receive throughout the course of their running career or where they get their materials you know to learn from like magazines and um online articles and resources and things like that as well as pharmaceutical companies like are those places that would be, um, you know, ideal to market that kind of, you know, like actually share the message? Because I don't know, it's probably the same sort of, it's probably connected to the fact that a lot of runners, there's so many myths and misconceptions when it comes to avoiding injury and needing these mm -hmm. shoes and believing you're an overpronator and all these things which have perpetuated through the years despite evidence showing to the contrary 20 30 years ago it's still there and i think they're perpetuated because one you take the advice of the fastest runner in your club because mm -hmm. that's what you want to be it's the power of you know the bloke next door rather than the, the doctor um, and two it may be as well to a certain extent because of healthcare professionals wanting to giving the runners the information they want or trying to get business through it i think we've got a big um um what's with responsibility as well to not always try and be these people's friends and actually say look this is the fact okay you come to me you're giving me your money i'm telling you now although you kind of said yeah i'll just take a few ibuprofen this is dangerous stuff and yeah. and, and not just what not just you know be better educated we've talked about this a few times on the uh, you know during these podcasts is we're very much trained to do things with our hands but how many have actually 
trained to be an educator or a teacher. And when you're telling somebody, you know, something which they know will probably get them through a race and, you know, you've, you've got to do it in a way which works for that person, that individual in front of you and not come across as like belittling them or kind of joking at them. So it's being a better educator. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to that, like, um, you reminded me as well, like, I, I, I think because we can't say to somebody, you should, you should take this particular over-the-counter medication, you know, that's not within our remit as sports massage, sports therapy practitioners. Um, it, it seems kind of like almost counterintuitive, but then it makes sense to be able to say, don't, you know, don't take that. Like, it, it's, it's kind of like, chip, sort of, I don't know. I was going to say chicken and egg then, but that's not what I meant. I just meant it's like you know, a bike or a monocycle. It's, monocycle it's, yeah. um, it's all part of understanding pain as well, which is why pain education mm-hmm. is so important. You know, they see pain as the enemy. Ultra runners have to put out with a ridiculous amount of discomfort and they really have to you know, bite the bullet really, really hard when they're doing these events and they're hallucinating and they're, it's, it's crazy. Wow. Particularly when you get to 100 miles races and you literally are hallucinating once you get past 80 or 90 and you've got to ignore it you haven't got i've heard runners telling me about you know bats and dracula chasing them and snakes all over the pavement while it's raining and just having to think this is i'm not this is actually here this is not here i'm just imagining it and getting through it let alone runners in the deserts who are running through the heats and stuff so mm-hmm. it's very difficult that misconception is always between pain as in your body kind of telling you something's not quite right here and effort you know it's it's very tricky but it's, I think it's part of the problem, seeing pain as the enemy. Yeah, chuck down some pills, mask it, yeah. get rid of it. You can get through it. Gary has said here, hey, Gary, um, let's bring this up. Gary said, working with ultra athletes for many years, these events are booked several months or even years before the race takes place. Um, commonly, women will take short-term contraceptive pills to stop the cycle. I mean, that's education as well, isn't it? Like you said earlier on, Fiona, a lot of women will, will go through actually stopping their cycle thinking, this is whilst I'm running, it's necessary. Uh, I could take that out of the equation, not realise the, the harmful effects down the line. So that's all education as well, isn't it? Um, yeah. I was going to say, um, it's it's definitely a, another subject probably for another day, but like the, the, the contraceptive pill just in general, like, like whimsically like just kind of think about like how we differently view um taking any kind of like hormones to adjust a uh you know a medical condition like it's not a medical condition actually sorry a healthy a healthy person like to delay in a natural biological process um that could impact performance as i've described um in 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 women and and then in men um i'm not a supporter of steroidal abuse but like it's very much not okay to take steroids to enhance performance uh two very different kind of like outlooks again just an example of like you know how we culturally like just view things so differently um between genders yeah no very interesting and and from what i've heard speaking to people athletes Tina Maria, I talked to about who came out kind of very publicly about the athletic amenorrhea and she was almost like put on a pedestal. Wow, someone's actually speaking out now about how, you know, it did cause problems and she couldn't, you know, have children and stuff for a while and she was just putting up with it. She was saying how literally when she went to GPs, they just kind of poo-pooed it and said, oh, it's nothing important. It will come back. And so even from GP level, 
which a lot yeah. of people will think, well, that's God's word now, isn't it? If they say I shouldn't worry about it. So it's, it does seem to be a very big education issue, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And there, there is some really good, like, there's a lot of really good information that's kind of coming out into the main kind of um, forum about um, like women's health issues. I just I, like, you, you know, the issue that we're, we're discussing is like NSA. So I just think that, you know, in terms of making it um, open for discussion, um, that that should happen too with, you know, dealing with pain. And yeah, it's all, all part of the bigger bigger experience of, of pain and, and, and management of, of injury, I suppose. Mm. Well, we've been backwards and forwards around lots of interesting corners and circles in this episode. Thank you so much, um, Fiona. Really nice. Um, it's a shame that there wasn't, um, ironically, more women listening who could have chimed in and, and, and maybe women who normally wouldn't say anything otherwise who could have felt empowered by you and actually spoken out but i do appreciate people who did Catherine, so much thank you very much for your um um, additions as well and gary thanks for sharing as well mate as well um gary says i've seen athletes with um nsets tapes their arms for regular consumption yeah i know it's a crazy field out there isn't it it really is so there's a few things we've talked about in there one is the lack of knowledge of nsets two there's the um lack of people considering um the 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 things which female athletes go through um lack of knowledge and three there's the fact that maybe female athletes for whatever reason aren't speaking enough to help educate fellow female athletes and also the male athletes as well so there's a few things we've covered um sounds like we need a part two somewhere with just me and three women i think that's what we need to discuss even then obviously it's all very individual but it'd be nice to maybe get some I'll ask around, but apparently no one's going to get back to me. (laughs) Maybe I'll try ringing more than once. Maybe they'll be busy. Maybe they will be ironing. We'll see. I'll give them a chance to respond rather than just moving on to the next person on the list. Anyway, so um, thank you so much, Fiona. Give us, uh, for people who um, have only just tuned in now, maybe missed the beginning, what have you got lined up again for you? Let's go back to your website. What have you got? What's first on your list of helping people? Um, There's how to read a scientific journal article. Uh, workshop that's taking part in, place in October. There's another one again in March if you can't make it. These are it. online, yes. So you haven't got to come face to face. Yes, all face to face. Um, and then plan and deliver a, an online workshop will be in November, um, with another repetition over in April next year. Um, so if you've got an idea for a workshop but you're not sure how to bring it to fruition and and you'd like to start doing some online workshops, this is a good one uh, just to get started. Um, and then uh, presentation skills for sports therapists will be in December or May. So if you've got any big presentations planned, maybe you're studying on a degree program or you're planning your workshop, <laughs> uh, you can get some ideas of how to put together a decent presentation and, and get your message across. And these are brilliant. These are like 90 minute bite sized chunks of information to practical help to help people. Yeah, that's so really good stuff and then the big boys come out big boys the big people come the big guns come out i don't know why i said big boys i have no idea but anyway let's just call it your um foundations in biomechanics courses they're all starting off in 2022 yes when yes. do they kick off so um i think um actually i have got an introduction to biomechanics workshop i forgot to say um the the one that i've been running historically um is going to be in january on the 29th but then the four week course is going to be starting in february i think it starts on the 5th of february 
it's every Saturday in February, um, just a 60 minute um, workshop style session and then some tasks to take away, um, just small homework type tasks. But it's it's covering the foundations in biomechanics. It's it's just, yeah, like a whistle top, whistle stop tour. <laughs> and if people are interested in hearing you uh talking about biomechanics then yeah go back to it was in january i believe um i don't mm. think i can recall which episode it was it was in january yeah, where you yeah. and dan anderson did a special yeah. for us on biomechanics um but yeah all that information is on your website uh which again i'll read out for people listening to the actual podcast um just go to Come on there, you go to move-well.co.uk and you'll find all the information you need there about um, Dr. Fiona Higgs workshops and um, the main course. Fine. Right. There we go. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's great. It's been really, really interesting. <laughs> um, I hope that it's given um, people. Thanks for joining us. Those of you who did join us live. Apologies again if Facebook cut you down. But if you are listening to the podcast, it's such an important subject. I'd really appreciate any feedback feedback you have then feel free to email me um, matt at the sta.co.uk or if they want to contact you fiona what's the best way to contact you if yeah, they have questions um like if anybody's actually i just want to say extend like a warm welcome to anybody if you just have a question about like women's health or anything like that i'm not an expert but if you don't have somebody that you can just ask and you've got clients or you you yourself want somebody just to talk to, you can email me. Um, my email's fiona at move-well.co.uk. So it's the same as the website. Um, but if you want to talk about biomechanics courses or any of the workshops as well, um, yeah, like I said, um, just drop me an email. Fantastic. Right. Thank you, people. Um, we'll be back uh, next Tuesday, as always. Hopefully, Facebook have sorted their stuff out by the time uh, next Tuesday comes. Um, next Tuesday, I'm going to have to use my crib sheet to see. I think it's Pura Singh is coming on to see us. Yes, Pura Singh will be with us, who's a senior osteopath for British Athletics Team GB, also lead therapist for the PGA European Challenge and the Birmingham Football Club and Aston Villa. So um, Pura is going to be talking to us about his uh, work, particularly in Tokyo recently in elite sports. So it's going to be a fantastic um, hour of chat about working with the elites. Um, that will be next Tuesday. So join us then. But for now, on behalf of um, Dr. Fiona Higgs and myself, um, and Gary, who's still there. Thank you, Gary Benson, for joining us. Um, yeah, thanks very much and take care of each other. And um, we'll see you in a week, hopefully. Good night. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.